Our episodes contain graphic information that may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Would you like some murder with your coffee? Welcome to Morning Murders. I'm Nicole. I'm Amanda. And I'm Brenna. We're just three gals like to sit around, drink coffee, and talk about true crime. True crime. Yeah, a little bit of true crime. A little, little bit of true crime. Like talk about true crime. We like to talk about our merch store. If you haven't gotten anything from that yet, yeah, still it's happening. It's, it's still open. Still happening. It's still there. It's still There's there. Still things. As long as we are there for you, our merch store will also be there. For, for you. you. Is this like a weird Friends reference? Because that's what it feels uh, like. <laughs> I like it. Yes. Yeah. Sure. Right. It's, like, does she know she's doing this? It's no. In, or is it just because I listen to it and admit it all the time? No, it was I, you because no. in your brain I was forever. A, I was a I Buffy make, fan. I didn't all do All the references to Friends. It's fine. I love it. It's like a speed class. And we're and we're there for you too, Beans. And yeah, today, beans. I, I believe that Nicole brought us a little, uh, little story so, to the breakfast. I note. do. I have, I have a little short story for you, um, ladies and Beans. Uh, so this case is actually a spinoff of one I did earlier this season, Russell Williams, episode eleven. Uh, the detective on the Williams case, Jim Smith, uh, was part of this one. He mentions this particular person while he's speaking to Russell Williams. Uh, Ladies and beans, this case is one where the police may have, in fact, made a deal with the devil. And even though a picture may be worth a thousand words, a video can be worth a whole a hell lot more. Have you ever heard of Paul Bernardo? This name sounds so familiar. My, I did mention him in the Russell Williams yeah. episode because Jim mentioned him. Paul Bernardo. Paul Bernardo. Bernardo. So also known as the Scarsboro Rapist and okay, the I know him as the Scarsboro gi- Rapist. Okay. okay, and the schoolgirl killer. Paul Kenneth Bernardo is a Canadian serial killer and serial rapist. Their nicknames. Sorry, their nicknames. Um, sometimes just, just as someone that like doesn't know these, it's. Kind of a spoiler. <laughs> uh, well, yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, what's going on in the area. Right. Come on, but there, Mary. There, yes. there is um, uh, one more, though. Uh, and <laughs> oh, see, so hold the, on. The, we didn't the, get the best <laughs> name, Brenda. Here we go. The devil may not have been Paul at all, but I'll leave that to you all to decide. See, he didn't act alone. Depending on who you believe, he either had help from or forced his wife to help. Oh. Carla Homolka. Regardless, together they are known as... The Ken and Barbie Killers. Okay, yes, a hundred percent. I know this one. Oh. I know them as the Ken and Barbie Killers. Okay. Oh no. <laughs> okay. Ooh, you know uh, what? I think this is a this is a favorite is this, story of Carolyn's. Is it really? Yeah, our composer. Yeah, oh, she's, right. talked, she's talked about this. Is one this before. because of the Barbie movie or something? So no. <laughs> okay. So I I um, tapped Paul Bernardo in Russell Williams. Mm-hmm. So when I started looking into Paul Bernardo, I learned that he was also the Ken and Barbie Killers, which oh. I knew nothing about. Mm. So then I went, oh, that's interesting. Because the movie, but the Barbie movie is filming right now. Huh, awesome. Yeah. yeah. It all ties together. <laughs> Although very different, very different. They um, were only called the Ken and Barbie killers because of their good looks. Yeah. They have nothing to do with Ken and Barbie dolls. Yes. Um, but as we tend to do, let's rewind the tapes back to the beginning. Paul Kenneth Bernardo was born August 27th, 1964, in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. 
He was exposed to chaos pretty early. Uh, his mother, Marilyn, maiden name Eastman, was adopted by a well-off Toronto lawyer and was raised in a pretty stable household. His father, Kenneth Bernardo, was raised by an abusive but successful father. His father created a highly successful marble and tile business, but Kenneth didn't join the family business. Instead, he became an accountant. Marilyn had a boyfriend before Kenneth uh, that her father did not approve of, so she married Kenneth in 1960. Kenneth may not have joined the family business, but he did share one trait with his father. He was rather abusive. Marilyn gave birth to two kids with Kenneth, and then she started seeing that boyfriend again. That's when Paul was born. Kenneth is listed as the biological father on Paul's birth certificate, but he did know about the affair. When Paul was about 16 years old, his mother told him about the affair and her boyfriend and how Paul was actually illegitimate. After this news came to light, Paul developed an intense hatred for his mother and would often belittle her, even call her names openly in public. Now, his father was no angel, though. Now, I told you he was uh, abusive, but he was also a child molester. Mm. He was arrested and charged for molesting a young girl in 1975. And shortly after that, it was revealed that he was sexually abusing his daughter, Paul's sister. After Marilyn found all of this out, she fell into a deep depression, and she even started to live in the basement of the house. Now, the story's going to keep kind of going in that similar direction as we progress. So if this is a story that may be too much for you to handle, super, super understandable. Your mental health is the most important thing in the world. Please either jump to the bloopers or totally skip this episode. Mm -hmm. That is super okay. We respect and love all of you, Beans, and we are here for you. Love you, Beans. Love you, Beans. Mm. Okay. So Paul's siblings were greatly affected by this, but not Paul. He was said to be always happy, a young boy who smiled a lot. And he was so cute with his dimpled good looks and sweet smile that many of the mothers just wanted to pinch him on the cheek whenever they saw him. He was the perfect child they all wanted. Polite, well-mannered, doing well in school, so sweet in his Boy Scout uniform. According to Nick Prawn, author of Lethal Marriage, The Uncensored Truth Behind the Crimes of Paul Bernardo and Carla Homolka. Now, Paul attended and graduated from Sir Wilford Lawyer Collegiate Institute and started working for a company called Amway. It seems to be one of those wholesale, health and beauty, independent business owner opportunity type companies when I looked it up. Um, often thought to be a pyramid scheme, I guess, but I guess it's not. Anyway, that type of business really seems to influence him. Um, he started to get those get rich and famous books and motivational tapes. Uh, he was going to school to be an accountant, but many of his friends also felt like Paul wanted to be famous. Nice. <laughs> so you're gonna say something? Nope. <laughs> it's like and Prenna. I was like, you leaned into the mic. I leaned in to like just fix my posture, oh, but right. um, also nice. Nice. Yeah. Uh, he would use the skills he learned in sales on women at bars. Mike, I thought you were going to say something. No, I was just looking at you. Oh, great. Hi. Okay. So soon he started attending the University of Toronto, Scarsborough. Uh, by this point, he had started developing a much darker sexual fantasy. He would pick up women and go on dates with women and then beat them up or humiliate them in public. Aside from that horrible hobby, he also enjoyed filming everything. Oh, no. He got a video camera and would make home videos of just about anything. Then, suddenly, in 1987, Scarsborough fell into a nightmare that it would take years to wake up from. 
On May 4, 1987, a 21-year-old woman had gotten off a bus and was walking home when she was attacked and raped basically in front of her parents' house by a man who had been following her. Whoa. May 14th, a 19-year-old girl had gotten off the bus and was attacked in her backyard after being followed. The attack lasted over an hour. Jesus Christ. July 27th, a young girl is attacked and beaten but gets away before her attacker can sexually assault her. The attacker would become known as the Scarsboro Rapist, and he was only getting started. In October 1987, Paul met Carla Homolka. Let's rewind the tape again and talk about Carla. Carla Leanne Homolka was born May 4, 1970, in Port Credit, Ontario, Canada. She's the oldest girl in her family. Carla, Lori, who was born in 1971, and Tammy, who was born in 1975. The girls and their parents, Dorothy and Carl, lived in St. Catharines, Ontario, Canada. Carla wanted to be a vet and started working in a pet shop while she was in school. At the pet shop, she worked under Jennifer Black. They became close work friends, and Jennifer even said Carla would call her big sister. In October 1987, Jennifer Black and a small team, including Carla, attended a pet supplier conference in Scarsboro. Carla was 17 at the time and stayed in a room with another younger girl, while Jennifer and the other woman stayed in a different room. During the evening, unknown to Jennifer and her colleague, Carla and the other girls snuck out to the bar. At the bar, Carla locked eyes with 23-year-old Paul. It was love and lust at first sight. It was intense, hot, and heavy right out the gate, like literally the first night. December 16th, a 15-year-old girl got off the bus and was walking home when she was attacked and sexually assaulted for at least an hour. The Toronto police issue a warning about traveling alone at night, especially if you take the bus. December 23rd, a fourth attack on a 17-year-old girl. This time, the detail about the knife is revealed. He would often use a knife to threaten his victims. The M.O. was mostly the same, a young girl getting off a bus late at night and walking home alone. Detective Steve Irwin of the Toronto Police was part of the team trying to find this serial rapist. April 18, 1988, a 17-year-old girl is attacked for 45 minutes, the fifth victim. May 30th, 1988, 25 miles southwest of Scarsboro, he attacks his sixth victim for 30 minutes. October 4th, the girl escapes his clutches, but he manages to stab her twice. Jeez. She had to get, I know, she had to get 12 stitches. Oh Oof. my God. I know, awful. November 16th, in the backyard of her parents' house, he attacks an 18-year-old girl, making her his seventh victim. November 17th, a special task force is finally formed to capture the Scarsboro rapist. December 27th, he attacks his eighth victim, but is chased off by a neighbor. June 20th, 1989, he attempts to rape another young girl, but she fights and screams, and she manages to scratch his face before he takes off. Hell yeah. By August 1989, he has attacked seven women. One of the officers even said that he broke one of the previous victim's arms. He wasn't near done with his reign of terror, however. On August 15th, he attacked his eighth victim. She was 22 years old, and he had stalked her and waited for her to arrive at her home before he attacked her. This one was so extremely vicious, and the attack lasted two hours. During these attacks, it was also reported that not only did he sexually assault these young girls with his body parts, but he would also use sticks or knives, and he would also smear the girls into dirt, anything to demean them. Apart from the mental and physical torment, he would make the girls tell them that they loved him. Yikes. 
A $150,000 reward is offered at one point, and thousands of men were interviewed, but nothing was uncovered. November 21st, he attacked his ninth victim. She was only 15 years old, and it was at a bus shelter. He attacked her for 45 minutes. December 22nd, a 19-year-old girl is attacked in a stairwell of an underground parking lot for 30 minutes, his 10th victim. May 26, 1990, three years after the first Scarsboro rapist attack, he goes after his 11th victim. She is 19 years old and did everything in her power to remember him. He assaulted her for over an hour. She immediately goes to the police and works with Betty Clark to create a picture of her rapist. It becomes front page news. The police got hundreds upon hundreds of tips. It was tricky, though, because in all honesty, the drawing could have been any good looking dude in Canada. Mm. There was nothing super unique about his appearance. He was just boy next door type. People in Paul's circle were included in those hundreds upon hundreds of folks who left tips. A bank employee and a woman named Tina who knew Paul through her husband. She was very sure that he was a Scarsborough rapist. He had been brought in on previous rape investigations back in 1987, and she had heard Paul talk about his sex life, and he was always rough and graphic. She urged the police to investigate him. She gave the police his address and date of birth. The cops went to Paul's house, but he wasn't home, so they left their card. He did call them uh, when he got home. They asked him to come in, and he did. It was said he was calm, but also kind of nervous, which they thought was normal. Uh, He was respectful, gave samples of his DNA voluntarily. He had no criminal record and even acknowledged that he looked like the drawing. He was so cooperative that it disarmed the police. Hmm. He was just a charming dude. All right. The DNA he gave will come into play later. Unfortunately, it's too late, really. After the drawing comes out, uh, the attacks stop. The police aren't sure if he's dead, moved, in jail, or what. Five months after the last known attack is when Paul moves from Scarsboro to St. Catharines to live with Carla and her family. Mm. Everything seemed great. Carla and Paul were happy. The family was happy. Paul was filming home videos on his camera. Then December came. More time of celebration, right? Or so they thought. The family had a Christmas party. Just the family. No outsiders or anything. Uh, They were all drinking, even the youngest, Tammy, who was 15. Uh, But her parents told her not too much. Paul was playing bartender, and he was making this, like, rum and eggnog cocktail type thing. That night, everything took a terrible turn. Tammy ended up getting drunk and choked to death on her vomit. A tragic accident that completely shook the family. Oh, no. I know. Awful. Just awful. The youngest girl is awful. So awful. Um, A month after the tragic passing of Tammy, Carla and Paul move into their own place. We are now about one year after the last Scarsboro rapist attack. April 6, 1991, in St. Catharines, a 14-year-old girl is sexually assaulted. It was different from the other attacks, not only because of the location, but also this one happened during the early morning and was not near a bus stop. Ladies and beans, it's about to get even more intense as this case goes on, so let's pause the tape and take a sip, because here come the murders. June 14, 1991, Leslie Mahaffey missed her curfew and was locked out of her home. She tried to stay with a friend, but she was told she couldn't. As she wandered around, she came in contact with Paul Bernardo. He told her he was going to break into her neighbor's house, and Leslie didn't care. Was even said to have asked him for a cigarette. 
<laughs> Leslie was, I know, Leslie was going through a rebellious phase, which was causing problems at home, which is one of the reasons why she had this curfew and got locked out. So Paul led her to his car and then blindfolded her and kidnapped her. When the police were informed of her disappearance, they completely brushed it off. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. She was a troubled teen and probably just ran away. She'd be back, though, they thought. She wasn't considered a victim or a potential victim at this point. Just another runaway. The fact still haunts Carrie Smith, who's a police media relations, who was someone who had disregarded Leslie. Two weeks later, on June 29th, at Lake Gibson, a man named Bill is getting ready to go fishing. He finds a good spot, but then notices these cement pieces kind of sticking out of the water. He goes to investigate and sees that there's blood on one of them. As he gets closer, he realizes it's a human foot, and he immediately contacts the police. 18 miles away at the same time, Carla and Paul's wedding is taking place. Cool. It has been six months since Tammy's death, and some of the friends felt it was too soon. When Paul was asked about why they still had the wedding so soon after the youngest girl's death, he said, the show must go on. It's been six months. How much more do we have to mourn? It's time to move on. Oh. Yeah, that's... Ew. That's uh, gross. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. So the news of the body hits the news channels, and it's even playing on one of the TV screens at the wedding in the bar area. (laughs) Yeah, some of the guests talk about how the person who did it must not be a local. Everyone knows that this time of year, the lake shrinks. Uh-oh. <laughs> uh, the body was identified as Leslie Mahaffey by dental records. The police now reopen the Scarsboro rapist case, but nothing happens. There are no new leads. April 16th, nine months after Leslie's murder, another girl goes missing, Kristen French. She was only 15 years old, and she had been abducted in front of a church as she was walking home from school. She was an athlete, an ice skater. She got straight A's. Her parents appeared on the news making a plea to whoever took Kristen and spoke out to Kristen directly in case she might be able to hear them. They told her they were doing everything that could be done, and they were going to find her. A witness saw a car approach her, and two abductors took her. Mm. The Green Ribbon Task Force was created three days later. 2,200 people were part of this search for her. After two weeks, a body is discovered not far off the road in the woods' high grass. It was Kristen. Mm. She'd been wrapped in a blanket, was nude, face down, curled in a fetal position. Her hair had been cut, and she was missing her Mickey Mouse watch and another piece of jewelry. Because of where the body was found, the geography made it possible that the two murders may have been committed by the same person. Paul had become more violent around this time, a friend noticed. One day, this friend was at Carla and Paul's house and witnessed an attack. Carla had made the friend a drink and gave it to him. Paul very quickly began yelling at her, smacked her, and said drinks were supposed to be served on a silver platter with a napkin draped across. Jesus. What the? I know. Like, whoa. Shit. Hey. Hey, dude. <laughs> yeah, I get the friend too. Like, tried to come to her defense and was like, "No, no, it's fine, it's fine." And right, Paul yeah. basically was like, "No, it has to be done this way." Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. Just, yeah. I'm okay. At work, people started to notice that Carla was starting to cover up more. She was coming in injured. One day in February 1993, she finally goes to the police. She has been severely beaten, and she tells the police that her husband murdered those two teens from the news. Mm. 
She tells the police that Paul had told her he wanted sex slaves and that he stalked women. She also tells them that Paul recorded videos of the girls. She tells them that Leslie was kept and tortured for three days. She said, I knew she was scared. I'm pretty sure she knew she was going to die, and she was crying and saying she wanted to see her little brother again. I gave her a teddy bear to hold to comfort her. She took a breath, and he went over and strangled her more. Leslie's death happened around Father's Day. Carla's parents had come over to the house for a short visit, and at one point her mom tried to go downstairs to the basement, but she was quickly stopped. Leslie was kept down in the basement and had been strangled to death only hours before they came over. Mm -hmm. Carla told the police that Paul would threaten and beat her and after the murder of Leslie he only escalated he now forced her to help him she told him about Kristen French Paul had forced Carla to be part of that abduction Carla tells the police that with Kristen French it was Carla's job to distract her she gets out of the van with a map and approaches the young girl asking for directions the kind person that Kristen was of course just wanted to help her But as soon as she did, Paul grabbed her. Kristen was kept the longest, and most of what happened to her is on video. Carla told the police this. Her feet were tied with the electrical cord that he used to kill Leslie, and then he strangled her, and there was electrical cord around her neck. It stands out really clear in my mind because the night before I left him, he did the exact same thing to me, only he didn't kill me. He raped her, and then he strangled her after he was done. Carla said that she was too afraid for her safety and the safety of her family to help Kristen, but she did feel empathy for her. I felt like I was friends with both of them, especially Kristen, because we did so much stuff together. We put makeup on together, we talked, you know, just girl talk when Paul was gone, getting us food, and it made it hurt even more. She said, I want to do everything I can to put that bastard away forever. He doesn't even deserve to live, but I want him to rot in jail because dying is too good for him. Then, on February 17, 1993, 28-year-old Paul Bernardo is arrested at his home. It was about eight days after Carla went to the police. The Toronto Sun started to pull all they had on the Scarsborough rapist, everything from 1987 to 1993, because they were informed that the murder cases might be linked. So Carla had told the police that on their honeymoon, Paul told her that he was the Scarsborough rapist. When February, yep. <laughs> happy honeymoon, honey. Right. I'm a rapist. So Jesus we're married, Christ. right? Wow, like it's our like, first night together. Yeah, you cop- pillow talk, copulate, the <laughs> consummate the the marriage, mm-hmm. and then you like right after you wake up, you're just like just fall asleep. You wake up and you just roll over, and he's like. Guess what I've done. Oh, jeez. That would be, be so terrifying. What do you do after that? I'm married terrifying. to you. Cool, 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 cool. Yeah, that's neat. Mm. Uh, so, when February 1993 came around, it had been nine months since Kristen's murder, ten months since Leslie's murder, and two years since Paul volunteered his DNA. Two years later, the DNA got matched on several assaults in Scarsborough. First of all, why the heck did it take so freaking yeah, long? Like, yeah, what the hell? Well, in 1990, there was really only funding for one qualified DNA scientist who would run every oh, no. single oh, test. Wow, that poor person. Whoa. So Paul was one of five suspects in the Scarsboro rapist case, not to mention all the other fucking cases this person had to do, right? Oh, yeah. So in the... Oh, my God. That's yeah. so much. Awful. Awful. And if they'd had more resources back then, these girls would have been alive. 
because he would have been caught. Right. Two years sooner. Jeez, Leslie oh and Kristen God. would be alive. Yeah, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they would have caught him because it's, oh my God, because he was linked to how, like all of them like immediately. Yep, yep. and he oh would have God. been convicted for those right away. Yeah. So the system failed mm. because of funding. Wow. Uh, nine days after Carla went to the police, Paul is charged with 16 counts on assault cases and was the prime suspect in the murders of Leslie and Kristen. He denies the murders. Oh. The truth of it all would be on these tapes that Carla mentioned to the police, and now they had to find them. There was a search warrant granted, and they got to work. They searched the entire house for these homemade videos. Carla didn't exactly know where they were either. She had mentioned something about the rafters in the garage, but Paul had known she went to the police. So where were they now? Would he have moved them or destroyed them? What do you guys think? And why? Moved them because he took the time to make them. <laughs> I, feel like okay. he would, I feel like he'd just have the biggest ego that he'd be like... Yeah, he, I don't want to get rid of these. I took the time. That's what I was going to say. He's not yeah. going to get rid of them because those are his trophies. Yeah, maybe. So I would say he moved him. Moved him? Yeah. Moved him. Yes. So the police searched the house for 10 weeks, 71 days, and they failed to find any physical evidence of the girls or of the tapes. Damn. They had no forensic evidence, no circumstantial evidence, only their witness, Carla. Whoa. Mm-hmm. Damn. So Carla told the police about how abusive Paul was, both physically and mentally. He would push her until she would just do what he wanted so he would stop. She was interviewed and assessed by psychologists. When the reports came back, it was said that she had been broken down completely due to the violence. They said she had what they called battered wife syndrome. And now she was the star witness in the case against her husband. Mm. Paul Bernardo was appointed Ken Murray. He was his criminal defense lawyer. After the warrant expired for the house, Ken and his law clerk, Kim Doyle, asked to go to the house. They were granted access. They went inside, and Ken had this note, this drawn map with instructions on it from Paul. It directed Ken to go into the bathroom, get up on the ledge, and remove an above light fixture. He did all of that and began to pull items out and hand them to Kim. In total, he found six homemade videotapes. Whoa. Now it was Kim's job to go through the tapes. There was nothing, nothing that could have prepared her for what she witnessed on those tapes. It was so awful that to this day, the word tape triggers her. What she saw was absolutely horrific. Absolutely horrific. So what did she see? Leslie was tortured and sexually abused continuously. She cried out in pain and begged Paul to stop. She was sodomized while her hands were bound in twine. There was even a point where her blindfold started slipping and she told him, because at this point she wasn't able to identify them. Mm. Oh, that's right. I said them. Because there was not just Paul in the room. Right. Carla was there too. Yeah. Doing just as much as Paul was. Oh, With no signs of force. (gasps) She was more than a willing participant. What a bitch. Now, what's not in this video, however, is when the couple decided that the best way to dispose of the body was to first dismember using Paul's grandfather's circular saw and then place each piece into cement pieces. And then together, they made numerous trips to the lake, which was where Leslie is later discovered by Bill. 
Paul even kept the receipts from the hardware store where he bought dozens of bags of cement. You gotta write off your murder. Yeah, I guess you gotta, so. Yeah, you gotta I guess be that's a smart, why. you know, savvy killer and write mm-hmm. off your murder. That's true. Kristen was raped, tortured, and sodomized over the three day Easter weekend by Paul and Carla. They forced Kristen to drink large amounts of alcohol so that she would be more subdued. She was never blindfolded. So the difference. When you're blindfolded, you have a higher chance of getting released. Mm -hmm. Now, because Kristen was never blindfolded, they clearly never had intention of letting her live. Right. Her murder was also not on the tape, and Paul and Carla tell different stories. Carla said Paul strangled her for seven minutes as she watched. Paul said Carla, well, we'll get to that detail when Paul takes the stand during the trial. There was another tape that revealed shocking details. It was a video of Carla's little sister, Tammy. No! Remember that tragic accident? Turns out there was a lot more to the story. This is the part I know. This is the part you know? This is the part I know. Well, ladies and beans, we've but scratched the surface on this awful case. I know that I need some more coffee. How about you, ladies? Coffee! So we're going to go brew another pot and breathe in that sweet coffee aroma. We'll be back to continue this dark saga next Monday. Until then, save those final sips and stay safe. Thank you for joining us on this morning for another episode of Morning Murders. Guys, it gets so much worse. Man. I know. No, I forgot. Thank you for listening to Morning Murders. Remember to stop by every Monday for a new episode. And you can always check out our resources and mental health links in our show notes. If you enjoyed listening to our highly caffeinated conversation, please leave us a five-star rating and check us out on Instagram. At Morning Murders. That's at M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G-M-U-R-D-E-R-S. If you have any stories you'd like to hear discuss around the breakfast nook, email us at morningmurders at gmail.com. Thank, Thank you, you for listening. Until you guys about this too. Okay, great. No, you have not said anything. Oh, it's about even this. better. That's fine. Surprise! They have to have some surprises. I gotta leave you some surprises, huh? We're gonna move on to murder. <laughs> Moving on up Moving to on the up. murder side. To a deluxe murder. Guys, it's kind of like you're reading a blanket for it, you know? Yeah, it's kind of like you're in a breakfast nook that looks that so much like a blanket <laughs> for it. You know, I, guys, have, I just this really is want to next do level. Like, if I could have a fort like this as a kid, that's cute. That's right? legit. Yeah. And I got like fairy lights in here. Like, as far as I'm concerned, I got a little soundproofing guys. We're just telling each other trees, spooky stories, chakras. It's like a fort. There's a cool fort. There's, elef- there's elephants. Yeah, those are from Brenna. Brenna elephants have their have their trunks going down. They're bad luck. Can't have this shit in here. No. Says, but Brenna Rainy Fulcher. So far. Why'd it you was, bring in the bad juju? I found it was at, it was at Cost Plus World. You know what though? And I liked it. They're and really it's cursed. And it's that, not cursed. They're supposed to have their trunks up or <laughs> no. no bad you luck. You know what? That's also really hard for the elephants all the time. These ones are just resting. And it's a constant reminder You're that right. you need to take a mental health break. I am giving unrealistic expectations to my elephants. You really are. Yeah. Elephants are uh, my ele- favorite animal. You need to respect. Okay. All right. <laughs>
I'm going to go. Thank you. Go. I just saw my life flash before my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Your yes. whole life? It was exhilarating. Oh, good. What happened? Oh, everything. <laughs> Could it take about 40 minutes? It's... Can we edit it into an episode? Oh, well, here we go. It was a long life that I've lived before this moment. 400 years. 400 years. Mm -hmm. That's it? I just thought about Hocus Pocus. Brenna was here before the dinosaurs. I think I was. Now this Brenna's back. Beautiful. Oh, thank you. Oh, my gosh. We finished that bottle of wine, didn't we? Did we finish it? No, we didn't. No, we didn't. Not yet. Oh, wait. I forgot we're also kind of... <laughs> oh, that's true. Yeah. Anyways, should we, should we do this, Brenna? No. Brenna, Brenna, Brenna. Mer Brenna's drinking water. Brenna, Brenna, water. Brenna, drinking water. That's our sticker. Brenna, drinking water. Brenna, Brenna, Brenna. Brenna's tradition. I love it. Look at us. Look at that. Look at that, Amanda. Look at Nicholas. 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 Oh, you win. You win. Nicholas. Nicholas. Nickelodeon. Nicholas. 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 Around this corner, it's a man. That's changed it just enough. I know, so we don't have to pay for the rights. I was gonna say I made that up and changed it. So that's original. It's original. Suckers. So drop the mic and drop the fan. Drop the fan. Drop the fan below the mic. Drop the fan <coughs> under the mic. All right. Great. You guys, oh, thank you. All right. Ready? Yep. Mm -hmm. If they had, if they'd had more recesses back, recesses? Shall we discuss a murder? Oh, <laughs> 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 Nicole, would you like to discuss a murder? Murder. Oh, my gosh.